0: People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turine Productions. This is Rodney and welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note right here on Fine Music Radio. I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today, It's Not How It Looks, is the 27th annual collection from South Africa's legendary cartoonist, Zapiro, and it's set to be yet another bestseller, as his cartoons brilliantly capture the craziness of yet another wild year here in South Africa, and indeed the world. Now, Zapiro is Jonathan Shapiro, born here in Cape Town and who went to study architecture at UCT. There was conscription, activism, detention, and a Fulbright scholarship to New York before establishing himself as South Africa's best-known cartoonist. I've always been collecting these annual... Books, (laughs) books, <laughs> your annual collection. Jonathan, welcome. Thank you. Mr. <laughs> Zapiro. Actually, as we came in here, you spoke about where the name Zapiro came from, because I mean, I don't know whether to call you Zapiro or Jonathan, so I'm going to do both. You, yeah,
1: you're welcome to call me whatever you <laughs> <laughs> like. That's fine.
0: I, yeah, the, the,
1: I went to Wash Boys Preparatory School, and then the high school, when I arrived in the old Standard 6, grade 8, uh, there was a matric Um, sort of school hero called Martin Shapiro but spelt a different way. Actually, a very nice way. Very kind of... It had pizzazz in it. It was S-Z-A-P-I-R-O. I I thought it was Hungarian, but it turns out it was the Polish spelling. Okay. There are various spellings of Shapiro, but I think that's the nicest one. And the guys in my year called me Zap because they thought I was his brother. And I, that became my nickname. And I, I really liked <laughs> it. And I was also very um, impressed by this guy, Martin, um, who was, you know, he was, a, he was nice to the younger kids, which is unusual. And he was, a, you know, a prefect, and he was a he was good at sport, and brilliant academic. He was an all round nice guy. Unfortunately, he died in a mountaineering accident a couple of years after leaving school.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: So my nickname continued um, and I always remembered him. And uh, then when I started doing cartoons, when I was studying architecture, I was much more interested in doing cartoons and always wanted to be a cartoonist uh, than I was in architecture. And I signed my drawings ZAP. And uh, I got into some trouble immediately with the I sure. caricature. The head of the school showed a bit of a dichotomy in his personality or character or things that he was doing. And um, he, he, it took, he took it quite badly. And, and I really realized that, uh, you know, this is really somewhere I should go. So I tried to leave architecture and uh, go and study graphics in order to become a cartoonist. Uh, the army conscripted me. And it's all connected with the name because I was still signing these drawings, Zap. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so I'm sort of jumping ahead now, but uh, now when I'm already politically involved in 1984, I was drawing a drawing of of a policeman shooting dead, somebody uh, where they'd been shooting people in the Eastern Cape and and elsewhere. And uh, it was my then girlfriend who became my wife later, she said to me, that looks a little bit flippant. For that drawing, and I said, mm, "Yeah, it, maybe it does." Sort of California surfboard, zap. So I thought, "Well, let me try and work the rest of my name in," which I did. I spent the afternoon figuring that out, and and <laughs> it sort of took off. And um, yeah, so I I recently last uh, the weekend before last, I did a a sort of a reminiscence that year at my school in 1972. Matrix, they flew his sister, the sister of Martin Shapiro from New Zealand, and they had a get-together, a, you know, a reunion, and they asked me to come and speak, and I told that story which she had heard by her friends, and that I'd been telling this on the radio, and <laughs> and it was a very moving It's a evening. lovely story, yeah.
0: and there I was thinking it was just a frivolous affectation <laughs> that you called yourself Zapiro. but what a lovely contact, what a lovely connection, yeah. and now everyone knows you as Zapiro and here you are, with your twenty seventh annual book, and these annual books have been doing well, haven't they? I should think that it's quite a good income for you because people love them—the ideal Christmas present. It's been a, a sort of a secondary income
1: uh, for for years and years, um, mm-hmm. and and I think partly because um, I was able to co-publish. Uh, so that means that um, you know it's a popular. Genre. I mean, I always loved the Giles books yes, when me I was growing too. up.
0: I loved them.
1: Yeah, my mom was a, was someone who was born in Germany, but then became very English. Yes. Uh, and then moved to South Africa later. She also became a very well known activist. But she she always had the Giles books lying around, and I, I studied these things as a child. I absolutely loved them, as as many people did. Mm. But I really took to them, and I th- and I did wonder would I ever be able to. Do something like this, and yeah. you know, right. all those years later, here uh, you are, it, 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 it happened, and it's great that people give them for sort of Christmas presents, yes. Hanukkah presents, or all just whatever things. presents. Birthday Birthdays presents.
0: has jiles stopped, he has stopped. Has uh, died many did years die? ago, okay? And
1: um, he, I've actually got his first book that he did, um, oh. the 1946 one, which has got some much darker stuff. It was, you mm. know, things that he did during the war. But he was he was very brilliant. Always a, a cartoonist who kind of stuck up for the common person, yes. uh, the he, man in the street, the yuck, worker. Uh, yes, and he was he was well left of his newspaper, the Daily Express, that he worked for. Mm-hmm. Um, but he but not not hard in in his after those first war cartoons, they were kind of almost soft. Satire, but but beautiful and yes. uh, and very influential.
0: Even me. those in those early books of his, like the first one you have got, was it? This, had he developed that family with grandma and auntie? What? Um, I Or don't, did they come later? I don't think they're in the first book. Oh, okay, I don't think so. I must, I must
1: go back and check. It's mm. something I'm I'm, 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 I'm embarrassed to say I don't, I
0: can't remember. No, but I think that happened in the next few years. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, Zapiro, yeah. Jonathan. <laughs> I would like you now to choose your first piece of music, and Eddie Harris with Les McCann, tell me about this and why you 've chosen it um, When I was a teenager, I was
1: possibly a little out of sync with my uh, peers I, I was I was much more interested in jazz than I was in uh, in, in sort of the popular music I later developed a much wider spread of musical tastes but uh, that jazz was my thing and by the time i got to university i had a friend who was studying saxophone and we were avid jazz fans and this sort of jazz funk um it's it's eddie eddie harris plays the saxophone but he he sings as well and then this guy les mccann brilliant pianist and this was a song that we played it's got such a vibe Um, and also many many years later when I was studying in New York and um, the cartoonist Derek Bauer, the late Derek Bauer, who was a brilliant uh, graphic cartoonist, the best graphic cartoonist this country's ever produced, I mean, his sheer ability. Mm. Um, but he came to visit in, in, in New York when I was studying there and w- I looked up, like, what, where, w- you know, could I find some nice jazz? And there at the village <laughs> gate was Eddie Harris and Les McCann and they played this song and it was wow. uh, so it was a kind of a spectacular evening for me uh, in all round
0: Eddie Harris there with Les McCann, and that was called "Compared to What." And it was the first music choice of my guest on this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio, Jonathan Shapiro. But we're calling him Zapiro, especially now that we know how you got that <laughs> name, Jonathan. Um, does is music important to you? Because it sounds you speak passionately about the pieces you've spoken uh, chosen, but is it important to you? But music is so important to me that it was. Really difficult. I have to say this, Rodney. <laughs> very, very, very
1: difficult to come up with a, a short list. Even my short list is too long. Uh, because is, each is. Of the music music is something I, I'm i passionate about. Uh, Do you listen a lot uh, to I, relax? I listen a lot. Um, I, look, I listen to a lot of news and, 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 and all sorts of things. But in between, I listen to... I listen to music. I love jazz. I I love classical. I sometimes even I listen to opera. I listen to popular music now. um, I've listened to world music, as as they call it, African. Uh, music. I, so I've got a, a, quite a wide. Have uh, you ever played sort of an of instrument,
0: days. or are you just a passionate listener?
1: Well, I I started playing a tea box bass. You know that that <laughs> yes, thing so that you you you, know, you you make a hole in an old fashioned tea box and you put the, right. the, the the rope it's in the top and the broomstick uh, and you stand on top of it. It's really funny. It's kind of cartoonish and <laughs> uh, I, I kind of fitted my persona that was starting to develop in the 70s, I suppose. And I played that with, with you know, I jammed with people who could play properly, and it was fun. So I mm-hmm. tried to take up the double bass, but I was studying architecture, and it was just too much. It, it, I couldn't keep up the practicing, so I played it about six months. I've still got it. It's an absolutely gorgeous instrument. It's <laughs> now just a decoration. But I also sang close harmony um i sang in choirs and things and then gradually sang in close harmony actually one of the nicest things about that was that i ended up singing in a robert kirby show at the baxter uh, one of his satirical reviews yes and um it it was a little group called the moron tabernacle choir (laughs) (laughs) which was fantastic i i sang for about just over a week in that show when somebody left the show And um, I did an audition for it and they, you know, I I had the the bass voice that they wanted and I could hold the tune. And I also play the chromatic harmonica. I've just taught myself that, which Mm -hmm. I love. So, you know, music is there. Music's Mm -hmm. there and uh, jazz in particular.
0: When you, you spoke about Zapiro and at school and drawing, getting into trouble, drawing the principal, so this thing of drawing and cartoons goes back to your very young oh, days. Oh yeah, the the, the the I mean,
1: I, I mentioned the the Giles books. The um that was probably my first real influence. Uh, after that was Tintin. Mm. I was, I mean, like a lot of kids, I was absolutely enthralled by those books. I only realised many years later that there all kinds of interesting politics around that. I mean, he moved from being quite a almost supporting. Fascists, or at least working for fascists, that, and that, and and doing things that were quite transgressive, um, uh, you know, very viciously anti-left, um, anti-communist, whatever, and also very racist. Uh, the the his nineteen thirty-one book, *Tintin uh, the Congo*, but he changed a lot. He actually nearly got cancelled at the end of the war for quite unused. It's I can't even go into the reasons, but he changed a lot after he
0: became a humanist. Anyway, I love his his work. And, um, and he then drew himself, did he? Did he drew, draw those cartoons himself? Yes, he or did. Just and, I stories? mean, later he had many,
1: he had a number of assistants who were yeah, drawing. I yeah. mean, there was it was such an exercise to mm-hmm. draw Tintin books. He had people who were specialists in machinery and people who were specialists in in in, in various other things helping him in a studio. I Actually, later visited the studio oh, in good. in 1981. Wow! I, I, when I was a student and trying to change from architecture. And I missed him by a day. He'd been there the previous day. Um, he was not that well, and he died a couple of years later. But okay. he he was a huge influence.
0: But you said also Asterix was a bit of an yes, influence. Yes, well you?
1: Asterix. I mean the drawings of Asterix are absolutely and the writing. Mm-hmm. Um, the the both and two the two different people because the one was Udozo, the the artist, and the and the writer was Gossini. I always wished that that Uderzo had not carried on the books without a writer after Gossini died. So the first like 23 books or something are brilliant. After that, the drawings are great, but not the stories. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Udazzo uh, really nice. was a genius as, as an artist, and mm-hmm. I, I, on that same trip as I went to meet Hergé, I actually did get to meet Udazo in, in Paris, and I, I got lost in Paris looking for his uh, studio, and then it got really late, and then I realized his house wasn't, his apartment wasn't very far away. So by the time I arrived there was Five to eleven at night. Oh
0: dear! In yeah. in
1: autumn. So um, and uh, and I, yeah, I have told the story many times. But it was it, it was the terror of holding my finger uh, at that doorbell <laughs> for five minutes and pressing the doorbell <laughs> at eleven o'clock, and then he he's actually inviting me in and not being able to speak English, and then luckily getting someone to translate his daughter. I, you know, I never forgot that. He was a, a very generous toy. thing yeah. to do, and he gave me a lot of encouragement. He saw my drawings. And
0: uh, yeah. And um, I just want you to tell me what you think of my favorite cartoon strip, which is Peanuts. Absolutely Are one you? of my top ever. Oh, good, uh, so and you can stay. After, after Giles
1: <laughs> and Tintin, my next thing, I became uh, – I, I was – you know, passing myself off as the biggest peanuts fan in the world, I would cut everything out that I could see, oh, and I collected yeah. everything. I was, I was a complete fanatic of of, of peanuts. So I, I totally agree with you. He's a you know a philosopher. Um, Absolute genius as a comic strip mm. artist, um, and and the progenitor of people like uh, I mean Calvin and Hobbes, which is oh, yes, the yes, the, yes. the equivalent, uh, an even better artist uh, than than
0: Charles Schultz and or you know on the same level, um, uh, you know intellectually. Yeah, let's have another music break now, uh, Jonathan, and I see you've chosen the great Abdullah Ibrahim, mm. and Water from an Ancient Well. Is there a story around this one? The story around uh, Abdullah is not so much around this
1: particular song I just absolutely love it it's one of my you know three, four, five. I don't know uh, <laughs> the best uh, uh, Abdullah uh, numbers um, and it's more recent than when I was first uh, exposed to, to Abdullah's music uh, when he was still dollar brand mm-hmm. and um, I, I was studying in, in, at Cape Town University at UCT and I was doing architecture but my head wasn't really in it I, I was starting to kind of get a political sensibility a little bit, and I understood that you know that he had left. and I was starting to pick up what the exiles were and who who they were, and i, I just completely loved his music and the the Cape influences um, and the, you know the, the the kind of guma that he would weave into his music. It's heartrending kind of pathos that was there that I, I really felt it. You know, it was at the time. Uh, I remember doing walking through District Six. We were doing a little student movie, uh, and through these these deserted places, we did, we set ourselves up as a, a um, uh, on the corner playing playing jazz. Some of the people were actually playing. I was kind of uh, you know p- pretending on my, on the double bass. Yes, <laughs> um, and um, you know so that's all that kind of Cape Town history and pathos is woven into his. And, and then oh, of course I. As I was leaving for to go and study in New York in 1988 flew to England and then flew across to New York and went we, we you know coming out of the i had just come out of detention I was in detention without trial in 1988 and nearly didn 't make it onto my trip to New York so you know the world was opening up in a very real way to us we 'd been very very in the dark in South Africa in so many ways and the cultural boycotts and all that and there was a concert by Abdullah in a small venue, um, I think it was Hammersmith, and uh, we got in early, so I was right at his feet, and I felt like I was at the you know feet of the master, and we'd, had, we'd bought a little plate of something to eat uh, earlier, and I just thought, oh yeah, I can see this profile, I've got to draw. So all I had was this, this round, um, slightly waxy cardboard plate, and I drew this caricature of him as he was playing the piano, and I'm still very proud of it. It, 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 it turned out really well, and, it was, and I like the fact that it's on this little. Have you still got it? Plate. Yes, I have. Oh, okay. yeah.
0: Has it been out? Has it been published? Has it been out? No.
1: I, all the, those kind of things. I, I, I do want to publish One some day. of those things with little stories and whatever. Right. That, okay. you know, maybe in the next couple of years, I'll do a book like that. Let's listen
0: to Abdullah Ibrahim. <laughs> Ibrahim, that piece was called Water from an Ancient Well, and it was the second choice of my guest on People of Note this week, brought to you by Peter Turin Productions, here on Fine Music Radio, Zapiro, oh Jonathan Shapiro, so as I said, Jonathan, I'm hovering here between Jonathan and Zapiro. But um, you spoke, you've spoken a few times about going to New York, but you've also said that you tried to get out of architecture, and you've made it sound as though it was quite difficult. And there were years then when things in this country were really, really bad. I was studying uh, architecture, which at that stage was
1: a six-year degree. Uh, but I really wanted to be a cartoonist. And mm-hmm. as I realized that more and more definitely, I, um, after traveling overseas on my architectural fourth year, I... Came back and I said to my parents, I know it's, you know, you've been paying for my studies. I mean, I was earning a little bit here and there. And I said, but would you mind if I change to graphic design to try and become a cartoonist? And they said um, they were very supportive. I tried. And the army immediately sent me a letter saying, you're not going to get deferment. Now, that was my worst nightmare because all, many of us, you know, young white males, didn't want to go to the army, mm-hmm. uh, some of us and um, I, I certainly didn't and uh, I fought them for ages I started doing graphic design, I was doing really well uh, for a change uh, I used to do well at school and then I didn't do that well at, at, in architecture then I was doing really well but they pulled me out after my first semester and I had uh, three weeks to decide what the heck to do, i Just didn't know what to do. Uh, It was six years jail if you refused, and I didn't know if I could leave the country. I went into the army and I refused to carry a gun. And they, after a lot of hard, many hard weeks where I was the kind of the real victim of abuse of a kind by the corporals and lieutenants and whatever, and uh, for out of 700, I was the sort of main target. They gave me a lead pole. To carry uh, a corporal one, uh, it, it was a ridiculous little thing, and it made me into a bit of a joke, which was fine by me, and it was part of again part of that persona that I I, I really felt now suddenly I wanted to be an activist, but I was in this damn army, so I was carrying this pole. A corporal even made me stand guard with it, which was very funny. He got into big trouble, <laughs> and then during the time I was in the army the United Democratic Front formed. And by that time, I had got myself down to Cape Town. And so I couldn't do duties where you know, standing guard anymore. And they weren't that stupid to keep on making me stand guard. So I had time to go and be an activist in, in the UDF. And I very quickly got arrested, uh, which freaked the army out because I was still in the army. And then um, I remember the first time I got arrested, Trevor Manuel came to bailed me and the rest of the activists out. Uh, We were held at Athlone Police Station. Uh, This was the start of years of activism for UDF and for the end conscription campaign. Uh, I actually designed the ECC logo while I was still in the army. And then um, for the next, you know, uh, six, seven years, that was my main thing. I was uh, working for organizations um, until I eventually got the chance. Well, then I was detained without trial in 88, by the security police. For how long? Well, you never know how long it's going to be. No. And um, they put me, after I refused to answer questions, they put me in solitary. Uh, I was in solitary for five days, and then they put me back into the section with other activists. I was there for another six days. They thought I was on the Nelson Mandela birthday committee. Um, which I wasn't, but there was. Funnily enough, there was another guy called Jonathan Shapiro, and they mixed. <laughs> right. They mixed the two of us up. Okay. They later mixed the two of us up again. They detained him because they thought he was me. Uh, after I left to study,
0: so it was a, a like comedy of errors, but also incredibly energizing time. Mm-hmm, I'm sure. And did you then, were you drawing at the stage during this yes. energizing time? Yes, yes. By that time I decided when I got out of the army in, in the middle
1: of 84, by that time I, I, there was no way I was going to go back and study. I was just no. working f- almost full-time for organizations, earning little pittance every now and then, doing kind of uh, commissions for was a paying work. And um, and that was that was my life. Uh, and, it was, and and and. An, an amazing time it was actually. Yeah. Uh,
0: and yeah. a sort of an impression on your life that usually, it was made, hugely. Yeah, yeah. But then how, what, how did you get to New York? Oh, well,
1: in, in 1987 um, I applied for a Fulbright scholarship because I, I felt like I n- my interrupted Graphic studies, you know, could be continued somewhere else, and I, I felt a little burnt out as well after, you know, this, this six, seven years. We, there was no end in sight to the, the struggle, and we, we didn't expect things to happen. You know, no one expected it to happen in, in 1990. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, so I went to study in in New York at the School of Visual Arts, the, the, I got this, what I called a, a half-bright. Uh, I, I, I hope the full-bright. You know, they know how grateful <laughs> I am. It was they they phoned me up. They said, "Would you like?" Uh, we don't think you need a degree, but how would you feel about a year of non-degree study at the school of your choice? And I said, I'll take that. Thank you. And uh, off I went to the School of Visual Arts, uh, which was phenomenal. And, and also they liked what I was doing, and they gave me a second year free. The school gave wow. me a tuition waiver. So I had this f- phenomenal situation of having two years of free study or doing all subjects of my choice at the, a great The school of visual arts is a fantastic media school I also had an independent study under Art Spiegelman so it was, a, it was an amazing time as well and, and a time of exploring the world and exploring New York was so cosmopolitan we had friends from all over the world and that's when we listened to this uh, this band called Le Negres vert. uh, And you've
0: chosen that now as a piece, haven't you?
1: Yes. They were you know French, but they had the sort of Romani influence and the kind of North African Arabic influence and they were just vibey and wonderful. So we that was our sort of band of choice.
0: The name of that group, Jonathan, Les Nigres Verte. Um, I, I, like Le, uh, I have no idea. I have no idea. My French is terrible. So. <laughs> well, it was another choice of my guest on People of Note this week, Zapiro, the cartoonist, whose new book, his 27th annual collection, is on sale now in bookshops. But I wanted to, we've spoken a lot about your background and the interesting life you've had, but I want to know. A little bit about your style. We spoke about Peanuts and Mm. we spoke about Tintin. All of them seem to have a character. You don't have a character, do you? Your cartoons are on their own. There's no person that appears in your cartoons all the time, apart from our politicians. Uh, The the politicians
1: (laughs) and occasionally sort of self referential stuff where I um, insert myself in commenting on Yes. But now it's a it's a very different sort of genre, really. The, the 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 comic strips that were very influential for me when I was young are very different from the editorial cartoons. Uh, actually, the first editorial cartoonist, well, other than Giles, kind of light satire, which mm-hmm. which I was influenced by when I was young, but the first. Local cartoonist is really under-celebrated in South Africa, and, 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 and he was around in Cape Town. David Marais, he was at the Cape Times from the fifties through to the early seventies, and what a genius! I mean, he wasn't the, the best draftsman around. He was there were others who were better, even John Jackson at the at the August at the time. But John Jackson was as wonderful a draftsman as he was. He was quite reactionary, uh, so I was influenced by David Marais. Head and his progressive politics and his journalist's training, and and I always loved the idea of being a, a kind of a journalistic cartoonist. Not that I had, I didn't study journalism, I didn't study art, I didn't uh, until later, mm-hmm. I didn't study history or politics or economics or anything. I didn't study pretty much anything that would give me a, the, the, the you know, right to be a cartoonist, but. It's one of those things that I just yeah, felt. And just, and you you and, did it. You and did, it. And did it. But yeah, so he was an influence on me, certainly uh, cerebrally, David Maria. And then I would say the English vicious satirical cartoonists, uh, Ralph Steadman and Gerald Scarf, That was a, a kind of a 70s thing that, I, that they were both absolute geniuses who started off fairly together and eventually ended up hating each other, I, I gather. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if there, there's been any reconciliation, but um, they were they were both geniuses. I, I, if I had to pick one, I, I'd say I prefer Ralph Steadman, and he was a huge influence on Derek Bauer locally. Now, Derek, again, also I felt the stylistic influence, but not a political influence. Mm-hmm. Derek was a bit of an anarchist, and I was much more left-wing inclined. Right. Um, so I, and then those comic strips were hugely influential. So I kind of, then when I studied in America, I started pulling in some of the very um, clear communication of the American
0: style of, of editorial cartooning and comics. So it's a, it's a sort of a mix that gradually takes shape. You were famously the one who put the shower head on Zuma's head, didn't you? Yes, you were yes. The, and you still do it, I see.
1: I still do it. I started that in 2006
0: <laughs> during his, uh, his, that his, ridiculous his rape time. trial, at yeah, the end of yeah. the rape trial. And but now, uh, as I've yeah. said, and you say here, every time I think things cannot get any weirder, they go and get twice as weird. <laughs> Not even my crazy mind, you say, could invent a country where, at the same time, we have the devastating final Zonda report delivered too late, uh, two Gupta brothers finally arrested and a brazenly crooked ex-spy chief revealing that millions of dollars in cash has been stolen from Cyril's game farm. So every day, I remember yeah. Peter Dirk Ace used to say that to yeah. me. He said he never has to worry about uh, material. Yeah. Well, how does it work? How do you? What is your deadline or when do you have to sit down and think or how does each cartoon come about? Briefly, Yeah,
1: um, Briefly, as uh, you you know, you have to rein me in here. Um, exactly. uh, I, the process is is a little bit open ended at the beginning because it's it's listening. It is trawling through sites. It's reading. I still have old fashioned newspapers. A few of them around. Uh, they're not that many um, good ones. The Daily Maverick puts out a, a great newspaper a on great. Saturday. Yes, um, The the, the one six eight. It's and I'm with Daily Maverick now. Yes, um, but I've been over the years with with, with a number of newspapers. When some of them are still very good so I there's it's difficult I start playing around with different subjects and, and suddenly the links happen that you don't expect because humor and satire both um, and they obviously connected uh, not everything satirical has to be funny but they are connected by surprise mm. so you're trying to make links that are not necessarily there when you first when you first go for it, let alone the reader. You want there to be that surprise which either shocks you or makes you laugh or makes you just think.
0: But you've shocked people many times, back to the Zuma rape thing. The figure of justice. The figure of justice. But also um, one of your very latest ones now with this whole Qatar thing is that one where there's someone lifting the pitch and sweeping Dead bodies yeah. underneath. Yes, the 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 migrant.
1: Oh, about six thousand.
0: Yeah,
1: migrant workers have died during the, the the, the years of putting this this Qatar, uh, soccer extravaganza together, and it is a, look. It's not the first um, World Cup of soccer or World Cup of. Of, of other things or, or the Olympics or that's gone to a, a country that has a bad human rights record. I remember in China 2008 uh, or whatever, Russia, uh, there have been, been others. Mm. Um, um, but but this one it just felt like it's just wrong in every respect it's environmentally wrong it's not a soccer country it's that they the alcohol thing. Is, but then the, the the real terrible stuff is the killing of them the, the the how many migrant workers have their rights have been totally ignored and they've they've died in construction and whatever and they just it's just lit, uh, i felt that very much they're being papered yeah, over and yeah. uh, the LGBTQI+, plus they all of that that's Also, a a major issue, you know, not nearly as many deaths. I'm sure there are some people who died, but not nearly, but but the trampling of of the the human rights of everyone in that community is is also really worrying.
0: Um, Jonathan, briefly, have any of your cartoons been banned by the newspaper? The editor saying, No, that's too far. When you you said,
1: I said my immediate yes was banned by the the apartheid government oh, banned yes. no, a well, we series of my yeah so a series of my cartoons uh, had had been banned the very first cartoon i did for the united democratic front was banned uh, <laughs> a, a a poster calendar poster that i did in in t- 1986 487 which was uh, one of the best pieces of work i've ever done was banned and uh, was also there many stories around that uh, editors have it's a different thing. You do not say banned, but they have pulled cartoons at the last minute. There have been some usually I try and have a relationship with the editor so we discuss things and see but every now and then there would been an issue or an editor that I don't get on with as well and not, not that many of them but I've had issues. I got one suspended for a week by an editor who didn't like something that I was saying about Mbeki's AIDS denialism. Um, things like that have happened. Um, yeah, uh, you know, that's going
0: to it's sort of Part of the course for a for a cartoonist, you you do push the boundaries. All right. Well, let's pause now for some music. Harry Belafonte. I'm glad you've chosen him. <laughs> but you say there's a story here as well. You, you know, the, uh, there are so many things that happen
1: to me that I could not have possibly foreseen. It's just been a, a roller coaster. <laughs> uh, the Harry Belafonte thing was like that because um, I, in 2001, uh, it was Christmas Day. I get a phone call uh, from a guy with an American accent. He said, um, uh, hello, uh, would you like to meet Harry Belafonte? And I said, um, certainly I would. Uh, who is this? He said, well, I'm his agent, um, and he'd very much like to meet you. So I, I, was, I was speechless, which is unusual uh, for me. And then I said, well, where? Uh, he said, well, where do you live? Uh, I said, I told him where I lived, and I said, when? So he said, well, how's this evening? So I said, great. So I go off to the beach. It's the middle of summer, and I come back from the beach, and I sort of get myself all set up in the studio. The gate bell rings, and I see this enormous, compared to me, enormous, tall, (laughs) very good-looking, as an elderly man, but absolutely amazing-looking, still in this huge coat on 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 our south african summer day it was very strange and i spring the bell he walks in and he gives me this huge bear hug and uh and and really happy to meet him. we go and sit down and i start talking with him and i'm still figuring out why he wanted to come and how does this happen mm. and he says he's we talk for a minute or two and he says hang on i just there's something i want to say and he says uh, i was expecting a black man he says god has a sense of humor
0: <laughs> and I, I, I that is a very funny isn't it story. and I <laughs> actually
1: asked him well why and I said and I also asked him later can I put that on the back of one of my books which he, he very kindly gave me permission to do Harry Belafonte on Meetings appear. so but the thing was he had seen a cartoon that I had done during South Africa's United Nations anti-racism conference a couple of months earlier I'd done a cartoon that was that really sort of Took apart the the sort of politics of African America uh, set up against the uh, American establishment because, of course, Colin Powell was the uh, Secretary of State, an African American, Mm. and he had wanted to come to this conference. George W. Bush had said, okay, you can go, and then he turned around and said, you couldn't. So I did a sort of a freed slave thing with Colin Powell. And uh, they're saying to Colin, (laughs) the, the other slaves are saying to Colin Powell as they go off to the racism conference with their little packs on their backs. And they say coming Uncle Tom and he said Damascus in the big house says I ain't and <laughs> and that he thought this had to be a black cartoonist and it, and he was really surprised and we had this fantastic rapport and an unbelievable meeting and that's one of the most incredible things that's ever happened to me as a cartoonist. He's going to sing Midnight Special Harry
0: Belafonte.
2: I wake up in the morning, everything ding don't ring. You go a marching to the table, you see the same old thing. Baby, all I wanna tell you, a knife, a fork, and a pan. And if you say a thing about it, you're in trouble with the man. Let the midnight special shine a light on me. Let the midnight special shine its ever loving light on me. Yes, let the midnight special shine a light on me. Let the midnight special shine its ever loving light on me. If you ever go to Houston, then you better walk all right. You better not stagger, and you better not fight. Or Sheriff Benson will arrest you. He'll carry you on down. And if the jury finds you guilty, your penitentiary bound. So let the midnight special Shine a light on me Let the midnight special Shine its of light on me How I wonder did you know? How well I will not know her by apron and the dress she wore. Umbrella on her shoulder, piece of paper in her hand. She goes a-walking to the captain. I says I'm losing my man, so let the midnight special. Shine its light on me Let the midnight special Shine its ever-loving light on me Let the midnight special Shine its light on me Let that midnight special Shine its ever-loving light on me oh, Let the midnight special
0: Harry Belafonte there with Midnight Special after that lovely story from my guest Zapiro, Jonathan Shapiro. Jonathan, you know, just before we end, and time has rushed by, as you can see, I often think with someone like a cartoonist or a comedian, there must be times when you have Upheavals in your life and all that, and yet you've got to make people laugh. You've got to get up in the morning, and if anything has happened to you, kind of make people laugh. Is that tricky? Has that happened to you?
1: Yes, and, and people who know me, I, I feel like I've had a pretty much a charmed life for a long, long time. In the last couple of years, um, I've had a real difficult upheaval, and I. I hope that people aren't able to see that in the cartoons, because I've really worked hard at trying to keep that separate from whatever happens in my in my private life, and I've, I've really enjoyed that as in the, my cartoons as an outlet. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I yeah, you know, as things have started to kind of uh, improve a bit, um, you know, somebody sent me a wonderful piece of music, um, w- which I absolutely love, and which is kind of. I'm kind of looking to the future with this. Uh, it's the best piece of of new jazz that I've heard in a long time. And, um, yeah, so music is that also that outlet. And my, mm-hmm. my cartoons and music and, and, and kind of walking on the mountain. Those are my... <laughs> right. okay.
0: yeah. Jonathan, we have to end, but before, I just want to say that you're doing some appearances here in Cape Town for your new annual, which is out now. 11 o'clock at Exclusive Books in Constantia Village on the 3rd of December and also at Exclusive Books at one thirty at Cavendish Square and Exclusive Books at the V&A Waterfront on the 4th as well as at the Somerset Mall on the 4th and also in Hermanus, the bookmark on the 17th of December. So make a note of those dates and you can go along and meet Jonathan and if you're lucky, he will sign your book as he signed mine. Yeah, of course I'll sign, and, <laughs> and
1: uh, I speak to people. I love I
0: love meeting people when I'm out there. and actually have incredible experiences doing that. Excellent. Jonathan, it's been amazing speaking to you, Zapiro. And um, best of luck, and I look forward to paging through your annual, and I'll see you next time. Great. Thanks, Rodney. Well, let's listen now to Hide and Seek with Joshua Redman. <laughs>